0: So let's get excited to talk to today's guest. Hi, everybody, and welcome to episode 168 of Intermittent Fasting Stories. Today, I'm here with Abby Stadlin. Abby lives in Cleveland, Ohio, where she runs an Ace Hardware store. Welcome, Abby. Hey,
1: Jen. So good to be here and see you. Oh, yeah,
0: I can see you. You can see me. No one else can
1: see us, which we're glad you about. You look amazing, though.
0: <laughs> thank you. I just got my hair cut. It's a, l- a little shorter than I've been used to, so it feels weird. Well, I'll, like, very, I don't
1: very youthful.
0: recognize myself. Well, thank you. I want to tell everybody right off the bat, you might hear hammering and sawing because we're having our backyard remodeled. We're recording this in July, and this remodel's been going on since March. I'm like the queen of long, long, long remodels, but everyone is here working. The pool, they're installing the water feature for the pool that we were having put in. Then they're also working on the siding of our house. So they're literally could be hammering at any time. So I'm used to
1: that in the hardware business. <laughs>
0: well, for someone who runs a hardware store, I'm sure that the construction, maybe I should just lie. This is Abby. Abby is at a <laughs> construction site. It's not me. <laughs>
1: Too late. I already. already I'm the one holding the tools. Right there. You go. There
0: you go. Well, Abby, it's great to talk to you today. And you know, I like to start by asking what brought you to intermittent fasting, and when was that?
1: Absolutely, it's so surreal hearing you ask that question when you've listened to like 150 hours of podcasts with you, and you realize you spent six days listening to Jen Stevens, listen to other people tell their stories. It's really that's a lot of Jen Stevens. (laughs) It's got me through the years. And I look so forward to every new one coming out. So hello, all new people who are listening to the podcast for the first time or have been listening for 168 hours. So, you know, I've really been thinking about how to answer that question without sounding like every single other person who's ever answered the question, because we all have unique stories. But then there's also things that are very connective.
0: Which we love. We love that everyone has, has both the uniqueness and the commonalities. That's what brings us together.
1: Yep, absolutely. So like many people have answered that question before me, I am a lifelong dieter. I've struggled with my weight ever since I was a little kid and pursued a variety of diets over the years, much like you and, and like every other person who struggled with their weight. What's funny, I was thinking about what makes me different is I never wanted to invest a lot of money in my diets. And not so much because of the money piece. I just always thought I could do it myself. I'm a very, it's that entrepreneurial spirit. You know, I thought I could just figure it out and muscle it through. So I started at calorie counting diets. I did carbohydrate restriction diets. My mother in her adult life became a lifetime dieter. And we pursued fun things like the cabbage soup diet, which people I did have that heard about, one. right? I also did a rice and fruit diet. Did you ever hear of that one, Jen?
0: Um, is that based on the the Kempner rice
1: diet? I believe so. Yeah, where you had like three servings of rice and two serving three servings of fruit, and, and that the, was like, your And no, f- no
0: added fat, and that was <laughs> it. You know, that sounds so weird when you talk about it, but he was, I believe, out of Duke University. And they actually had some really great health benefits with people that came out of that, you know, it wasn't just like for weight loss, they were doing it for, for the, you know, the healing, the health benefits. And it sounds completely absurd when you think about, you know, all the people doing low carb that, you know, for health, and how could you be doing this, you know, zero fat fruit and rice diet. But, you know, it's just very interesting, Melanie and I have talked about this on the intermittent fasting podcast, that there seems to be, you know, really good health benefits at either side of, you know whether you're restricting carbs a lot or whether you're restricting fat a lot. It's the carbs and fat together that cause issues for a lot of people.
1: Right. The the things that are the most delicious.
0: Well, of course, I love carbs together. and fat together. That's <laughs> <Right>. my favorite. <laughs> but yeah, how did you, how did you feel on that?
1: Well, you know, like, like everybody else who's dieted with any sort of calorie restriction, because ultimately those things are all about calorie restriction, you know, you get, you get all geared up to go and you're all excited and you're all prepared. And, you know, part of it is that determination and organization to get the thing accomplished. And then, you know, you lose a couple pounds week one, you lose a couple pounds week two, and then week three, your body's like, that's it, we're done. Now you're gonna be hungry, tired, crabby, and fantasizing about all the food that you're not eating, and also that it's extremely odd to be eating, you know, in this totally weird way. And so, what was interesting is that one of the diets I had a good amount of success on was the carbohydrate addict's diet, which I know you've referred to a lot and and Dr. Heller. And in thinking about speaking to you today, I went back and really thought about her diet and her story, which was so compelling. For those of you who know that she essentially sort of like, you know, discovered plutonium, that she sort of had an accidental fast, right? And then she was so mad, she was going to have to keep fasting because of a medical procedure. And so she wound up going an entire day without eating, and then had a big, amazing dinner that she rewarded herself with. It was
0: like Italian food or something. Yes, Italian yeah. food.
1: And actually, the story was so like identifiable to me because in the morning, she bought two donuts from her normal bakery because she needed an extra reward, but she didn't eat them. She saved them for, you know, dessert. And then after she had this giant dinner, she was only hungry enough to eat one of the donuts. And then she was shocked to find out she had lost two pounds the next morning when she got on the scale and decided to replicate that experiment of one, right? Because she's a scientist. The funny thing about Rachel Heller, and this was one of the questions I had for you, was essentially she discovered intermittent fasting and she discovered OMAD, right? She, for herself. Yes.
0: That is what's so hilarious to me and, and struck me when I read that book again later after having read about intermittent fasting and and it was, you know, following, you know, reading Dr. Burt Herring's work, the early, you know, the Fast Five diet, that was instrumental for me, even though, um you know, really people were just talking about fasting as a calorie restriction versus the hormonal benefits that we learned about from Jason Fung, really. But what's funny is the Carbohydrate Addicts Diet She didn't have you fast all day and eat one meal. That's what's so funny. She had you doing low carb all day and then eating that one. She called it the reward meal. And I loved the sound of that. Like, well, I don't want to do low carb forever. I don't. But I could do low carb all day and eat this reward meal. So I never really lost any weight on the carbohydrates diet. And she had all these like, now try this, now try this. But had I done what she actually did, which was fast all day and then have the reward meal, that would have been intermittent fasting. That would have
1: been and, an OMAD. Mm-hmm. But that's what she
0: did to lose the weight, which is so funny. She did intermittent fasting before it was a thing. And ate her one meal a day, lost all the weight she wanted to lose. But then I really think my hunches—I've never talked to her about it. Although I would love to, I would love to meet her. I think that probably the idea of fasting just didn't seem like something she thought the public would want.
1: Yeah, it's so fascinating because that book came out in 1993. She discovered, you know, for lack of a better word, I'm sure other people were engaging in it, but publicly she discovered OMAD. She used OMAD to lose all of her weight. And then when she wrote the diet for me, she said, oh, but Abby, when you do the diet, don't do OMAD because you're not going to be capable of doing what I did. That was such torture. So instead, what you can do is you can have um, delicious eggs and bacon or turkey and a few little bit of salad for lunch, and then you have OMAD. So we're going to give you these like little cheaty tools to get you there. Instead of just giving us the thing that actually worked, which is what you gave us,
0: I know. So anyway, I I love those. That's part of the evolution, but you know, it shows that it worked for her, right? Yeah.
1: and it worked for me for <laughs> yes. a while till right. it stopped working. Like, when did you else. start? Um, oh, you so mean the the
0: low? You mean the the carbohydrate addict? The didn't carbohydrate work. Work. Okay. diet Wait, okay. was one okay. of
1: many diets that worked for me for a while. Okay. And so, typically, what I did throughout my young adult life is I would effectively yo-yo diet. So I would get to a new high point weight. I would say, oh, this is ridiculous. I'm at 200 pounds now. I have to bring this weight down. I would actively, aggressively pursue something that seemed concrete, that had whatever scientific evidence, you know, behind it. And I would drop anywhere from 10 to 20 pounds. And I would say, okay, you know, I'm, I'm making progress. This thing works. And then it would stop working. And I would ratchet myself right back up to a new high set weight, another five or ten pounds higher. And I really did that all the way through my young adult life. I'm calling myself young, but you know, up until I discovered intermittent fasting at, at 45. It's just so ironic to me that when I was doing carbohydrate addicts, which was really in the late nineties, I didn't discover it till then. I literally had the answer in my hand. I know. It's like going But back we just and, gloss
0: over yeah, that. You're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what she did. That's weird. I'm gonna eat this delicious breakfast, lunch, and then my reward meal.
1: <laughs> so, so um, so frustrating. So, you know, I think what happened, you know, to me from from there is I just kept doing variations of low carb, low calorie exercise. I was always a gym goer, always had a gym membership for for twenty-five years of my adult life which did very little for me in terms of weight loss, but I, you know, always enjoyed going to the gym. And at some point around 2017, this is sort of an interesting tangent. I had been mostly a vegetarian for much of my adult life and then kind of fell way off of that wagon to where I was eating pretty much whatever I wanted. In 2017, I watched the documentary, What the Health?, which I'm sure you're familiar with. And I promptly became a vegan. I'm prone to very like extreme changes in my life. God bless my husband, who who (laughs) stands (laughs) by me through all my madness every single time and says, great, honey, good for you. So at 2017, I watched What the Health. My daughter actually encouraged me. She she had wanted to become a vegan and um, we promptly became vegans. So at that point, I was sort of at a approaching like a a higher weight from for me, I was probably around 220. And my high weight ever was 265 pregnancy weight. And so maybe 245 after I gave birth. So I was approaching like a high weight where I was feeling uncomfortable, just some context, I'm about 5'8". And at 225, I was starting to feel fat. I always felt really pretty good at 200. At 200, 205, I looked good. I felt good. I was a size, I don't know, 12 to 14. I was cute. You know, I was pretty happy. And in 2017, we became vegans. And I think the the big change that the, I didn't really view it as a diet, just as like... It was you were changing your lifestyle. I wasn't trying to lose weight. I just was never going to drink dairy milk again, you know, because of the poor cows. So, you know, we became vegan and I promptly lost about 10 pounds Going vegan, which I think really was just a correction in all the processed food garbage that I was eating and uh, a return to whole foods and beans and vegetables and really making See, those the And That's, that's the a great
0: way to, to be vegan if you're going through the whole foods instead of like, you know, Girl Scout
1: cookies are a vegan. Oh, right? yes, yeah, thin <laughs> mints delicious. You can, you
0: can be like super junk food vegan.
1: You can be a very, very unhealthy vegan vegetarian, which I, which I have been at various points. So in 2017, I became a vegan. I lost a little weight and then I had some health issues which resulted in me, I, that sounds very ominous, but the, it's just TMI for a podcast, but I had some health issues that resulted in me getting a hysterectomy which I won't go into in too many details other to, than to say, boy, it is wonderful having a hysterectomy. And I think a lot of women will second that emotion. Can relate to that. Yeah. yeah. Like, oh, I don't ever have to worry about this thing. That is month. nice. Although but your hormones are
0: completely different now that I'm on the other side of menopause, you yeah, because you had the surgical form of it, or did you keep right, your I ovaries? I kept my
1: ovaries. Okay. Yeah. So and I was really the... impressed with my male doctor who said to me, we don't just take your ovaries out just because we're doing other stuff like that's ridiculous yeah so I said okay fantastic but anyway I had a hysterectomy and I thought oh this is going to be amazing now I'm going to lose all this weight because I don't have this like I still had the hormones, obviously, right? But I, I just felt I wouldn't have the the, the cramps or the pain or all right. the stuff that the we bloating.
0: Had it feels like that would be the, that your uterus yes, would be the cause of the bloating. Right. And yeah,
1: I mean, I was like so excited, ready to go. And I remember going back to my primary care maybe in 2019 after the hysterectomy, and my weight had gone creeping up again, back to like the high two tens, you know. And I thought what is going on here? And she said to me, oh, it's very common for women to gain weight (laughs) after hysterectomy. So I was so frustrated and demoralized. And at 40, I guess about 42, 43, trying to remember the math, 44, that year, I had done the quintessential thing that a lot of, it seems like particularly women talk about on the podcast, which is I had accepted, you know? Right.
0: Well, because we get so tired of fighting. I really think that's it. We're like, you know what? I have been devoting my mental space to this, trying to diet. I've tried all these things. They all are crap. I don't want to do that. I'm just going to be heavier. You look around. Everybody's heavier. Everybody seems happy. I'm going to be fine. It'll be fine. And you're just like, I quit.
1: Yep, I'm going to quit. That's exactly what I did. I said I'm going to quit the fight. I went shopping. I bought some adorable clothes. I looked so cute. You know, I was a 1X, a 14, 16, something in that vicinity. And I felt great. I looked good. I was going to the gym. I said, you know, to hell with. This is just with, me. With this I'm going to be this. Yep.
0: Yeah. This is I've me. I got rid of all my skinny clothes except for a few things
1: I was like, that I
0: kept for sentimental reasons. Boy, I wish I hadn't done that. But.
1: <laughs> oh, yes. I got rid of a lot of things. And I just said, you know, I'm a big girl. I'm a plus size girl. I've always been this way. This is my. Destiny, I'm done, you know, I'm done fighting it. So that was where I was in 2019 before I found you. I was accepting and looking very cute. But meanwhile, I had this just still pervasive sense of dread, which was that my weight was going to just keep climbing, that I couldn't even keep it steady, that if I was going to gain two or three pounds a year that by the time I was 50, I was going to be 250 or whatever it was, you know, and that, and not that there's anything, whatever, about how you look or what your weight is, not to shame anybody in any regard. But for me, it was, it was about my health and that I felt like my health was not in my own control.
0: It's true, and you're right that we don't want to make people. F- I mean, we come in all shapes and sizes, and and we're beautiful. I, you know, I was beautiful when I was was heavier, but I didn't feel great. I didn't feel my best. I had terrible allergies. It was I couldn't paint my toenails. I mean, yeah, I couldn't bend over. I mean, you know, it was harder to move through the world. And my body, my knees hurt.
1: So many things, and I really just felt like I was destined for a life of being, you know, unwell. And I think when You know, I don't know if everyone experiences this, so I never want to speak for everybody. But for me, at 45, looking at 50, 55, 60, like those ages don't seem so far away. Once you get into your late 40s, you're like, that's coming for me. And just to look at people who are older and unwell and what a prison that is, because the older you get, the more... Overweight, you get the harder and harder it is to combat the effects of those of that situation. I lost my mother at 60 to colon cancer. Y'all, yes, sketch your colonoscopy, please, everyone listening. And I just really felt that these were sort of life or death, you know, situations for me. And I was feeling very unhappy about it. So Whatever, though, I was running my hardware store and doing all kinds of things. I also became the board chair of a school right before oh, wow. the um, pandemic, you know, so that was fun running to uh pandemic related uh, institutions. And then during 2019, I have to give like this big shout out to one of my employees, my coworker and friend, Angie, who you should speak to at some point, too. But I never thought of her as being like really heavy or overweight. She was just, you know, it was just who I knew her as. Right. Which
0: shows we don't judge other people around no, us never, and how they look. Right. We, we don't even notice.
1: Nobody cares about you. Whether you're <laughs> right. you're three 300 pounds or 200 pounds, you're just Abby, you're just Jen, yep. you're just Angie, you're just whoever you are. This woman, I found out later her high weight, and I, I feel okay saying this because she posted this in, in the DDD Facebook group, but her high weight was about 230, and she went down to somewhere around 140. So she literally was just shrinking in front of my eyes at work, okay? To the point where everyone at work was like worried about what her. What are like, you
0: doing? Right. Yeah. Angie, are, are you okay? Yeah, are you
1: eating? Are you this or that? And she was like, I feel great. I look great. Everything's going my way. She's a young lady. So she's, you know, super excited, beautiful tan tattoos, like the, you know, really, really adorable. She was just, you know, killing it. And everyone was like, she's starving herself. Okay. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I had the thought like, oh my God, is this girl, you know, anorexic or is there something I need to intervene with? So really, I just went to talk to her and I, at one point I said, "Andy, what are you doing? You know, what are you doing? And she said, well, I don't eat all day and then I go eat whatever I want. And I said, really? And she said, yeah. She said, but she didn't use the word fasting. She didn't use the word starving. She didn't even, I mean, she, again, she's like Rachel Heller. I think she discovered this plutonium on accident, like it, I don't know how she really figured that out, but it wasn't through any sort of uh, guidance. She just sort of intuitively knew, you know, this might have been a better way for her to eat. She felt good and rewarded herself with like crazy food at dinner time. I mean, this was no like healthful <laughs> diet, but everyone was very panicked about her at work um, because we are a big family, and it dawned on me, Jen, that she. Was doing some version of this like carbohydrate addicts diet. So
0: you connected it in your mind to I Rachel Heller. It. You're like, that sounds like it rings I know. a bell. I was like,
1: I did this before 20 years ago, but look at what it's doing for you.
0: It's so funny. You remember it in detail, just like I did. Cause like we read that book more than once, right? You read yes. it. Many times. Because we were like, this myself. is the time I'm gonna read it. It's gonna work for me this time. <laughs>
1: this time I'm gonna <laughs> So I kept reading it and <laughs> this time I'm gonna have the willpower to make it like work. We
0: remember what she ate and her doctor's appointment and it was
1: <laughs> like a bulb moment. You know, you remember those bulb moments. And then in the process of talking to her, I also remembered my brain went back to about six months, five or six months earlier, where I was sitting at my sister's wedding shower with some of my stepmother's friends who are older ladies and they're older than me in their 60s. And they were talking about fasting. And they were talking about like a 168. Um, that was like the first time I had heard that. a 168, stop eating at 8 pm and don't eat again till noon. And they were talking about, and I was actively listening, very overweight, eating my delicious things at the you know at the wedding shower. And I was like, oh, this is so interesting. I had never heard those terms about like windows and eating. And oh, you, all you have to do is like skip breakfast. And I, I was listening intently, but it didn't, it didn't connect. And I remember them saying, oh, but you can't just, you know, shove food in your mouth and eat whatever you want. You know, you have to be very delicate and careful during that, you know, eight hour eating window. So anyway, those two things sort of fused together. And I started Googling. And when I started Googling, I found you. And I found your podcast. I found the, the Facebook group. And I promptly joined them. And then I bought at the same time, Delay Don't Deny and um, the Obesity Code. And I read them both. And I was so like, So many light bulb moments. Holy, I bet. Holy crap. Yeah. I, I cannot. I'm sorry. Excuse my language.
0: I think I said crap oh, earlier. Okay.
1: Oop, Crap's oop. okay. <laughs> <laughs> Hardware store life is, uh, that's oh, like, turned it. down for me. Okay. So, I mean, really, Delay Don't Deny was fascinating. It was your story and talked about, you know, a lot of like all the trials and tribulations that you went through. And then Jason Fung was like the science of insulin resistance and the notion that obesity is a disease of hyperinsulinemia was like, it was just absolutely mind-blowing. Um, and, you know, Rachel Heller was,
0: was on it. She, you know, think about it. She was a scientist. And even with the carbohydrate addicts diet where she had to eating low-carb That was to keep your insulin low. And I think she even says that. She says,
1: keep your insulin low. She did. She got really, really close, you know?
0: Yeah, she was almost there.
1: Right. And I mean, it's like, I think of the quotes like Thomas Edison, right? It's not that he, you know, he failed so many times. He discovered like 999 ways not to make a light bulb, right? You keep failing until you get there.
0: And honestly, her plan is probably a whole lot better than... I mean, I mean, I, we know it is. It's it's so much better than the standard American diet, obviously. And she's or calorie she's right. Yeah, or calorie, calorie restriction. restriction. Mm-hmm. Yeah, even you know her plan is still it's still it's got some solid science foundation. And so you you put it together with the obesity code.
1: Yes, and I think the number one thing that was so compelling to me is the notion that fat burning and fat storage are opposing forces. They, they don't happen at the same time. And, and you can think of it as two people pushing on a swinging door. Both people can't move. And, you know, lots of times when I talk about what does it mean to fast, because people are still so hysterical about the notion that, you you know, you could go the entire day without eating. Like, oh, my God, how, how do you do that? You know, how do you do it? <laughs> Is to explain to them, it, it's sort of like, if you think about obesity. And and the body, you can see that it is this like total and complete malfunction, right, of our natural systems. We store food as energy, which becomes fat, with the notion that we're going to access it at some point,
0: right? And we're stuck in over storage mode.
1: We're we're stuck. You're you're literally stuck in that point. And I mean, I think every single one of us has has seen, you know, has been in that moment, even as children, where you see like an extremely heavy person, like eating something, and it's not to not to judge that they're eating, but the thought dawns on you, how can somebody who is 300 pounds be hungry? Like, why is it when we're so physiologically, physiologically, that we cannot, you know, when I want to move a book from here to there, I say hands, pick up this book and move it from here to there, right? I don't, consciously talk to myself like a lunatic but we can direct the conscious functions of our body getting up walking moving talking all these things right are directed by our brains but the one thing we can't do are these nervous system functions we do not get to decide what our body temperature is what our heart rate is although we can have some impact on it what our hormones are doing and we certainly can't push a button that turns on fat burning
0: wouldn't that be nice?
1: Wouldn't that, but but <laughs> but that is what intermittent fasting is.
0: It's true. It You're pushing button. that button. Yeah, it is yeah. the
1: button. Really, what you should be able to say. What I should have been able to say when I was 250 pounds is to say, you know what, instead of eating this like cheeseburger and french fries today, I'm just going to push the button and, and use some of that food, st- use some of that stored energy I have.
0: Well, you know, like Rachel Nakati, who I interviewed on this podcast, I can't remember what episode, but it was early. Rachel Nakati from Africa. And she's like, tells her body to eat my thighs or something. Right. You know, she I remember that. That was yeah. so great.
1: <laughs> well, and I, you know, and speaking of like, interesting little tidbits that we've, we've picked up along the way, I remember years and years and years ago, listening to Oprah, Um, yeah, Oprah said late at night that, you you know, this was one of her weight loss tricks in terms of stopping eating. Late at night, when you feel that little bit of hunger, like, oh, I just need like a spoonful of peanut butter or a cookie or some little thing. She said, that is your body signal telling you it's about to burn some fat. If you don't feed me, I'm about to burn your fat. But if you feed me, then I won't have to do that. So that little bit of hunger, it was the signal to say, we're about to shift over from fat storage to fat burning, unless you want to give us some more food because we'd right. rather not, you know. Yeah, our bodies tap into would like stores. us just
0: to keep putting it in. It's easier. Yeah.
1: And you're not body's, that our bodies get
0: lazy, but I mean that's not really well, exactly designed, what's happening. But
1: yeah. I mean your body's efficient. designed to protect you. Right. You know, through through famine and to keep these fat stores on for the times where you're not going to be eating. And so the notion that we live in a world where there is never any famine and like as Jason Fung says, you have to shove a muffin in your mouth every you know, few hours or people think you're going to faint, that we never convert to fat burning. And so I think that that was the most quintessential light bulb moment and why it explains to people who are, you know, really don't have a, a real sciencey background like myself, how you cannot eat little meals throughout the day and expect to burn your fat because you're telling your body when you eat throughout the day that we're getting food and we're storing food. And then there's never any time to to get to burning it.
0: Yeah, we're constantly in that fed state and in that storage mode and not the burning
1: mode. Yeah. And I haven't really heard anybody say this or that I can recall. So maybe I'll be the first, but I'm a little like, I'm equal parts like grateful and angry. Oh, I get that. You know? mm-hmm. Yeah. It's like, Sometimes I was thinking about you last night. I couldn't sleep and, you know, what I was oh, going to no. say, you know, because it's so <laughs> exciting. But, you know, a little bit like, you know, Morpheus and The Matrix. Have you seen that right. movie? I have not seen The Matrix. Oh, you haven't seen The Matrix? Oh, Jim. <laughs> okay, must need to Matrix. watch it. Okay, yeah. Okay. But there's this amazing scene where, he, I won't spoil it then for you or all the listeners, but... Essentially, the Matrix—let's call it this—without spoiling it—is like a web of lies, you know. Okay. Well, I need to watch in. it. The sort of quintessential guru character, which is you, which is Lawrence Fishburne, you know, his fantastic I guest love actor. him so much. Um, you know, he says to Keanu Reeves, he says, "All I'm offering you is the truth." Is this
0: the red pill versus the, red the blue pill? pill? And the blue pill. I've seen that scene so, or heard that yeah.
1: scene, and, and yeah. you know, he says, "You can you can take the blue pill and go back to your like happy ignorance, or you can take the red pill and find out the truth." And um, I just feel like to whatever extent that I'm not a huge conspiracy theorist, right? But Jason Fung speaks to this as well, that, you know, the medical industry, the food industry, the diet industry, like to some extent, it kind of feels like they can all be conspired against weight loss,
0: you know? You know, when I was researching for my new book, Cleanish,
1: which is available for um, pre-order,
0: I can announce who wrote the foreword now. I'm so excited. Tim Spector. Oh, Wow. Yeah, the guy behind Zoe, the guy I've been I've been a fan of Tim Spector since before I wrote Delayed on Deny when I read his first book The Diet Myth, probably in 2015, something like that. Yeah, The Diet Myth was the first one. Then he had um, Spoon-Fed recently, but that was his, the second one I've read, but he, you know, behind the Zoe and the Twins research and the gut microbiome research and so he wrote the foreword. Oh, and I'm that's okay. so exciting. But back to what I was going to say <laughs> before I got on that little tangent, the food really is engineered to keep us hooked to it. I mean, that is not, I mean, that that's their job. The food industry's job is to sell you food. You being unsatisfied with the food and having it be highly palatable is, is why you go back for more. It's not meeting your nutritional needs at all. And so your body turns on those hunger hormones to eat more because you're not meeting your, your body's needs. Are the food companies doing it to make us unhealthy? No, they want to sell us more bags of Doritos. But the the root result is we're unhealthy. I mean, is there anything wrong with enjoying Doritos here and there? No, I'm cleanish. But if you're not putting in the nutritious foods and only putting in that ultra processed stuff, you're just trapped in that cycle.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I and I mean, I think this is sort of to me the the purest argument for fasting and why, you know, it's so easy and wonderful to recommend people to you and and to people like Dr. Fung is that, you know, there's just no profit motive. I hope you are, you know, getting compensated on some level for all the time you spend being the Morpheus and the, 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 the guru to all of us out there so we can find the truth, you know, because we're out here clueless in the matrix, like trying to figure it out, you know, and not understanding like something isn't right here. Why can't I figure this out? And you're here providing the truth. And part of me coming on this podcast was a little nervous about just being like vulnerable in public and and all of that. But, you know, I have to speak that truth too, you know, so that more and more and more people can hear that there is a way and that it is free and accessible and simple to anyone who wants to choose it.
0: And you don't have to buy all those products that are popping up all over the place. Just today, someone sent me a picture of this fasting whatever. I'm like, stop. No. Oh, my goodness. Right. Don't buy anything. If it says fasting anything, you don't want it. Unless it's like a fasting app that gives you the timer. That's
1: okay. That's all you need.
0: You don't need to buy anything on Amazon that comes in a bottle that they're going to send to you or a
1: product. No. Right. Right. It is. It's very. There's something extremely genuine about that. And as somebody who went to uh, business school and runs a for-profit corporation, like I am all for capitalism and, and can uh, making I tell money, you, I could you know? make
0: millions of dollars if I developed a fasting supplement and told you you needed it. I literally, you know, I was talking to somebody who's big in the health world, and she talked about a line of shakes that she produced at some point in the past, and she made like ten million dollars on shakes. That was part of her protocol. And I have no problem with that for, you know, capitalism, like you said, but I could make millions of dollars on a fasting supplement. I never am going to do that because you do not need it. I'm not going to sell you something you don't need.
1: Well, that's why you are the guru and and you well, are, are an ethical person and not as well, wealthy that, yeah. as other people perhaps well yeah
0: mm-hmm. I don't care i've I've got everything that I need. I'm a retired school teacher if, if 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 the whole world stopped intermittent fasting tomorrow, I've got my teacher retirement, I'll live on
1: that <laughs> whatever right <laughs> I'm fine, but that's you but, know it's the same thing like for us at the hardware store. like if you come in and a ten cent washer is gonna fix your sink, we're going to sell you a 10 cent washer. We're not going to sell you a new faucet because we want people to have solutions to their problems that are credible and, and make sense. And um, it's the same thing with with fasting is that this is available and accessible to everyone. So it's not to poop on like the medical industry and, and the food industry and the diet industry. Like they all have their purpose. But we out here in the matrix have to like at least acknowledge that that purpose may not be informed. And that purpose may not be pure and it definitely doesn't always have our best interests or, or welfare um at heart. Well,
0: yeah, like you know, with the food industry, their job is to sell you more bags of
1: Doritos. Exactly. Yeah. That's it. And and you and know, I can buy
0: organic Doritos, they're still not <laughs> right, good.
1: Organic food. Yeah.
0: I still love them, right. but it's
1: delicious. Um yeah, and delicious. you know, and part of, you know, my sort of I th- I think actually if I go back and give some credit to the vegan part, is that, you know, part of veganism really is that same sort of eye-opening sense that like the food pyramid and government subsidies and all of these things, like there's no government subsidies pretty much for broccoli, but there are government subsidies for corn, soybeans.
0: And I talk about that also in Cleanish and not like, you know, demonizing those foods, but the the fact that that really shifted agriculture and Americans are creative and that's that's part of our strength. You know, we're, we're creative. And so we start overproducing corn, for example, and now we have all these byproducts and now we're subsidizing it. And now we're coming up with all these, you know, ways to genetically modify it and spray these things on it. And, and that's actually not good for us either. And but now we've got all these byproducts. And so we're going to put all this in everything. And there that's where corn syrup was born. And it just gets more and more processed and more and more chemicals. Absolutely.
1: Yeah. And if you read the obesity code, you'll really learn about how fructose comes from corn syrup and damages your liver. But that's a whole nother Whole nother story. But yeah, I think that, you know, the truth is, is that if you want to eat broccoli and asparagus and Brussels sprouts, uh, you're going to have to do it on your own, you know, cause no, there's, there's no commercials for it. And only your mother or your grandmother probably were telling you, you know, eat your green vegetables. But guess what? All of that advice That's where the magic is. Really There's your sense.
0: magical supplement. Maybe I'll sell bro- or broccoli and Brussels sprouts to people. I did actually yesterday at the grocery store. I was there. Um, we were going to go out of town, and we ended up not going. So I didn't have my meal delivery kits, and I had to, like, go, go rogue and figure out what to eat. By the way, we had red beans and rice that I made from scratch with some heirloom dried beans. But I also picked up a bag of Brussels sprouts. But there was a lady in the store who was with her friend, and she was like, like, how do you cook the Brussels sprouts? I don't, and I was like, let me tell you how to cook. She was asking her friend, not me, but I've, you know. <laughs> you you interviewed. I, like ran across yeah. the produce department to her and told her how to cook That's the Brussels sprouts. So then I bought some and went home and ate them. And, you know, you cannot overeat Brussels sprouts. You know, I made the whole—I got a little bag of them, and I was going to eat the whole thing. And I just got full. There were, like, five left. I'm like, I can't eat any more of these Brussels sprouts. You know, they—I was no— Had it been a bag of Doritos, I could have shoved in those last few.
1: And and you've never seen a commercial to eat them. And the government. The Brussels sprouts board. The government (laughs) has not told you, you know, uh, has, has not helped you to buy them. Nope. And uh, no corporation, big corporation, really is benefiting other than the big supermarket. Brussels sprout. Big Brussels no? sprout, yeah. <laughs> so I think it's really that veganism is is a different kind of discovery, and obviously it's not for everybody. And I respect th- I respect that I'm not one of those annoying vegans. Are you st- you're still
0: vegan now? So,
1: but my daughter's listening, so I'm going to say yes. But. I'm going to call myself a 98% vegan. You're vegan-ish. I'm vegan-ish. Thank you. So I don't tell actual vegans that I'm vegan because their standards are like up here, but I'm way more vegan than even vegetarian. And so, yeah. So in terms of my like fasting story, it has been almost completely vegan and very high carb. That's also why I gave up and agreed to just be fat because I didn't want to give up the veganism. And I thought the only way for me to lose weight would be to be low-carb. And there's really no way to be a low-carb vegan, really. You you have to eat a lot of beans and... Um,
0: <laughs> that would be hard. Yeah. Beans and rice. And, and
1: yes, and greens. Well, no, no.
0: Like no, rice would not be low. I was thinking low-fat. No,
1: no, you're right. Yeah, it would be And beans. even beans have a lot of carbs. Beans are carby. Very yeah, carby. Um, Yep. And so I wasn't giving up the veganism. So I was like, well... I'm going to save Avocado. you just be eating avocado right. only or something. Right. And a few nuts every day. So yeah, I figured, well, you know, my effort to save the environment and animals and all of that was going to have to trump my weight. So I was just going to have to be fat. So anyway, to actually tell my fasting story, September 21st, I think was the day, 2019, I had gotten your books, read everything, and said, okay, I'm ready to go. And so the first thing I did, a lot of people, again, ask the question, how do you fast all day? How can you possibly do that? Well, I know there are many people who have been on your podcast who really like started day one and they were OMAD and then that's it. There was no workup. Okay. I'm not that human being. Like I had to try to, to get to that point. So basically for about a month, for four weeks, which is kind of like um, the fast start, the 28 right? day
0: fast start. Yeah, um,
1: I just picked a window. And so I cut off my eating by eight o'clock at night which was like hardly even difficult. That was just like, go to bed and stop shoving things in your mouth on your way to bed, right? And then I I skipped breakfast. And now the funniest part about skipping breakfast was, my mother, my whole life, tried to shove like a giant glass of orange juice into me before I left for school. That's what they give diabetics and sugar shock, like type 1 diabetics, right? It's, you know, have some orange juice. But she thought that was Get the Get that glucose up really Get quick. Get your sugar up really quick. So I, I sort of. And then thinking, it comes down really quick. <laughs> right. <laughs> So I certainly grew up with the notion that breakfast was the most important meal of the day. And then when I became a vegan, it became even more important because I had to like get all my nutrients in. So I would like force feed myself like a delicious bowl of oatmeal, which I really loved. But I would like be so uninterested in eating this oatmeal and force myself. So I got to just leave the house with my cup of coffee and no breakfast. And my life like just became dramatically simpler. And I didn't need anybody's permission. You know, my mom's not here anymore, sadly. But it was like, mom, not eating breakfast. (laughs) Too bad. Not learning that. Not learning that lesson. Unlearning that lesson from you. So I really did like a 16-8, you know, listening to the ladies from the wedding shower. And I would eat a lunch and a dinner. And then over the course of that month, basically, I started becoming like more and more and more compact. And so I would try to push lunch back further and eat lunch around one or two o'clock. And then I just realized life was just so annoying trying to eat lunch in the middle of the day. I just realized like what a burden it is for all of us to make these decisions all the time. So I'm at lunch, I mean, I'm at work, I didn't pack my lunch, what am I gonna eat? Where will I go to find something healthful and nutritious? Or will I eat some kind of garbage? Or will I eat an old donut that somebody left in the break room or whatever it is? And so I just realized lunch was just such a hassle. And I know everybody who's done this has experienced that same feeling. Like, lunch is a pain in the butt. And ironically, when you're a dieter and you are constantly faced with all these eating decisions all day long, it is actually very stressful. It really is. You know, instead of should I eat this or that, it's just should I eat at all? The answer to that being no. (laughs) No. makes life dramatically simpler. So what I did, Jen, is I kind of created a cheat version of Rachel Huller's diet. And so... Around the two or three o'clock point, I would still start getting pretty hungry because now I had skipped, quote unquote, breakfast and lunch. And so I started eating a pack of almonds every day around two or three o'clock. I would just say, you know what, there's no human way I can make it to dinner without eating. So I'm going to just have a low carb snack, which was really a carbohydrate addict's diet. I think Rachel Holler might have approved because it has about four net carbs in a pack of almonds. That was her limit, no more than four carbs in your little complimentary meals. And then just one day, it was like three o'clock and I was like, okay, time for my almonds. And I was like, I don't even want this bag of almonds, you know? And then that was it after about four weeks. So I think I sort of view my real start as October 21st of 2019. I was doing OMAD.
0: This podcast is supported by FedEx.
2: or text Wondery Pod to 500, 500
0: Well, I think it all was. I mean, I, I would say that your start was when you when you started with the sixteen eight. Honestly, you know that the September twenty first, I mean, that all counted. That was yeah. your that was your fast start. You were building up that ready. fasting mm-hmm. muscle.
1: Yep, mm-hmm. it was getting ready to go, and then within four weeks, I was on OMAD. And because it's funny how much Rachel Heller is obviously affecting this interview, I decided, I didn't really believe in your eating window. I didn't really think the 19.5 or the 24 or any of that was going to work for me. And I guess I didn't believe it because for the four weeks that I was like building up, I wasn't losing any weight. right? And so I decided that the other key component of Rachel Heller's diet, and this was one of the questions I wanted to ask you is, you had to eat that Reward meal within, within an one hour. hour. Because the mm-hmm. notion was your body was going to sort of do another sweep of what was coming through. And at about an hour and 15, if there was still food coming through, your body was going to shoot you with another shot of insulin. And you had to stop within 60 minutes to avoid that second sweep. Do you remember that? I do remember her it? talking mm-hmm. about that. Yep. Yep. And so I decided uh, that's what I had to do. So one hour, you were going to keep it just like the
0: Rachel Heller reward meal. Yep.
1: So... Basically, for the last two years and with some variation, I've really been doing a version of 23-1 or sometimes 25-1, you know, depending on when my my last meal was. And from October 21st, my weight was somewhere around 225 down through right around this week last year. I had a low weight for me, which was around 176. Wow. And I joke that I never got to, that's only 49 pounds, you know, that it didn't let me. (laughs) Your body is, yeah. I, I only got to say... I've almost lost 50 pounds, right?
0: You know, my body was like that too. It's like, you know, I just wanted to be, (laughs) my original goal was 135. Uh And then I decided, you know, I needed to lose a little bit more. And I did. But then I just was really hanging out around that 130 mark. And I just wanted to see a two. I wanted to see the two, right? And I only saw the two one time, I think, and it was like after I'd done some crazy long fads, there was the two, and then it, like, popped right back up to the threes, and I never saw the two again, and then I threw my scale in the trash. Yes, so. I know. I mean, I'm sure I, I've had the two, because I, I got a little leaner after that, but I never saw it. It's like my body just didn't want me to see it.
1: Right, right. And I think at around 176, I was the thinnest I've ever seen myself, like, in my life. I mean, I just never remember looking or like, where did I go? You know, it was almost, boy, I'm losing too much weight. (laughs) I better stop that. I mean, it was like startling and amazing and terrifying. And then, of course, promptly stopped, you know, just stopped losing weight altogether. And I thought it still seems like I'm too, quote, you know, too heavy at this weight. I'm still overweight at, you know, a 175 and 5.8, that I should be 160 or 162, something like that. And I just remember, you know, I just listened to you and, you know, how you've talked about how your body's kept, you know, changing and growing. And so really for the past year, I've actually gained some weight. I'm the last like scale measure. I was hoping to be back to like 180. This interview sort of kicked me back in, like, get your window tightened back up and stop eating the bag of Doritos, you know, for your window get back to whole foods and eating smartly. So that's been a great motivation for me. So, you know, I'm probably about 182, 183. So, you know, maybe six or seven pounds I've gained. But, you know, my honesty pants fit. I am working out like a crazy person in terms of a lot of weightlifting. My goal is to be really as strong as I can possibly be.
0: That's where the, you know, those pounds are coming from, I bet. If your honesty pants still fit.
1: I I believe you, Jen. Yeah. I believe you. It must be that. I mean, I've got... Well, if
0: your pants are still fitting, but your weight is up.
1: Yeah. You know. Yeah, I mean... It's... Unless they're like leggings,
0: which of course lie to you. <laughs> right. But...
1: I have some very dishonesty kinds of pants <laughs> yeah. as well that allowed me to gain 30 pounds. So that's why I'm not going to When I was 210,
0: everything yeah. was dishonest. Right. All my clothes were stretchy. So
1: <laughs> I have had pants I wore for 30, 40 pounds. So yeah, that's why I won't throw my scale out. I don't love the scale, but I don't... It doesn't wreck my day. It's another version of honesty pants, which just says you're either going in the right direction or you're, you know, you may be going in a different direction and you want to keep an eye on it Um, because I certainly let my windows expand and let my, the quality of my food intake deteriorate and things like that. So yeah, I don't know if my body, if I gave it like 110% now, if my body really wants to be below 180 but this is the smallest weight i've been in my adult life and well i, th- I think that's
0: a big clue mm-hmm. you know the fact that your body has not ever been smaller than that you know we we all exist a- among you know along this continuum of the bell curve of the normal distribution of weights and you know your body's set point, if you will, our our happy weight is somewhere in that normal distribution curve. And if you, you know, we all studied the bell curve and, you know, in school and how, you know, leaf shape and tree height and cattail length, they all follow that normal distribution curve where some have longer, but that's, they're fewer. And, you know, our weights exist among, along that. There are people who are just, this is where your body wants to be. And accepting that we're not all going to have the same body type or body size or body shape where our body is healthy and happy. Right. Absolutely. And you know, you could be absolutely miserable if you decided you had to be 160. Mm-hmm. If you said, I must be 160 or I'm a failure, you might not be able to get there without – really depriving your body and your body would not be happy
1: yeah well i i have a nutritionist um, friend who told me after a prior weight loss where i'd gone from like 230 to 205 235 to 205 something like that because that was my prior like happy sort of point where i said well you know i'm still really overweight and i still need to lose and she said you know what abby you look great you look healthy she said just stay here just stop the yo-yo stop the madness just try to stay here. It's not about being if you get all the way to the smallest point, your body's going to want to barge back up again, which I think It's
0: hard to fight where your body
1: wants to yeah. be. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mhm. Yeah, because it's trying to protect you.
0: It is. It, it's like this is where we're healthy, and you can also look to the clues of, you know, the the women in your family that came before you. Your mother, your grandmothers, you know, your aunts. Well, how were they built? Yeah, big. <laughs> see? You know <laughs> you know, you're, you're, mm-hmm. you you just have to look and see how they were built and you know my mother's a pear shape I got her cellulite thighs and that's just right. what what I got yep. you know and there's nothing I can do to change my body without doing like you know I don't know plastic surgery and all that I'm not doing all that for
1: sure yeah so I really in this like so now it's been a year since I hit that low weight and I'm like I said maybe 6 or 7 pounds Heavier, but you know, I I feel like my body's still like changing and and getting stronger, and I'm just gonna sort of like watch and see. But it's definitely the the little bit of weight gain, at least, has is causing me to you know redouble my efforts and make sure I'm being careful about my window and careful about what nutrients are coming into my body. Yeah, food
0: quality really is so important, and and you know, that's why one reason I you know delayed on deny. I kind of skimmed over that. <laughs> But I also wasn't as far along in my own personal journey at that point either in 2016. You know, I was still eating like the teenage boy. And then when I wrote Fast Feast Repeat, I wanted to really make sure to emphasize, you know what, food quality is pretty more important than I (laughs) let you know. And it wasn't because I was trying to mislead people. It's just that my own personal journey brought me here. And then in cleanish, I'm talking about it even more. You know, it really, really, the more I've researched, the more I realize. If we really want to live our healthiest selves, clean-ish, is, you know, be being the nutritious foods do make a difference, whether it's gut health or, you know, inflammation in our bodies.
1: Absolutely. And, I mean, especially, too, if you're doing OMAD, like, you can have, you know, a cheeseburger and French fries for dinner. You, you can do that whenever you want. And I'm going to. But yeah, but to focus on the notion that really making sure you have nutrients vegetables you know fiber healthy things in your diet is a big a big source of 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 health to you know feeling full and feeling well
0: so you you know what to do if, if anything rather than trying to tighten your window to be short 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 I would focus on food quality mm-hmm. okay and you know you could even have you know six hour window with the higher quality food I, I everybody's got to do what feels right to them but if, if you're looking for help, I would say a 6 hour window with really high quality food would give your body a better chance of being healthy over the long term than a 1
1: hour window full of ultra processed food. Right. That's a good You're gonna point. You're going to feel better. The other thing I was considering doing Jen is trying to do like a few longer fasts, like maybe my body's become adapted to fasting exactly 23, 24 hours, maybe I need to get to like 25 or 26, not like 40, but just, you know, a couple of uh, a 26 to 30 hour fast to just, you know, kick my body forward. I don't really know. Well, you but could, we'll but
0: if you're happy, are you happy where you are? What is your
1: goal? Yeah. Then, see, yeah, you don't need to I'm do all happy. that. I, want to be, <laughs> I just want a big big muscles. That's what I want. Yeah,
0: and, just focus on eating nutritious foods and, and I, always upping the quality of your food, making sure it's food that's delicious, right? Food that you love, but, you know, moving to the whole food side of the continuum when you can. Yeah, absolutely. That, that's really the advice I would give.
1: Okay. Well, I'm going to take your advice.
0: No, you don't have to just fast longer, longer, yeah. longer. Okay. I'm going to try. Now we are almost out of time. So what would you tell someone just starting out with intermittent fasting or what do you wish you knew when you first started?
1: You know, I would just say I really would encourage people to look into to the science aspect and, you know, one of the things that they just they've shown over and over and over is that calorie restrictive diets fail over the long term. And so, you know, when you understand the science of it, it just makes a lot more sense to you and you can really push through the fast. And of course, you know, the support group helps. Like for me, just even watching Angie, like when you when you have somebody in your life who you see is is doing this and being successful, it makes it feel possible and tangible to you. That's a little different than the internet. So trying to find like real life people to work with I bet we
0: all have that one friend that would do it with
1: us, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. like a buddy. I mean, it, it, really is, it really is so helpful. But you really do, because it's still considered so alternative and so wacky to so many people, you really do have to be armed with information. And I know you used to ask people, like, do you tell people? Did you tell people what you were doing? Because it was like top secret. It was controversial.
0: Right. Oh, it was for so long.
1: And um, now, you know, more and more people have heard about it, but people will still tell you you're not. So you got to be ready to defend yourself against people who don't understand and who are living in the matrix. And
0: And what I would say is, for people who don't want to know the science and don't want to be able to explain it or feel like you don't have to, because you really don't, just say, well, it's a lot to get into. And (laughs) I don't want to explain it all because I might get it wrong. But read Fast, Feast, Repeat. (laughs) There you go. Or listen to it on Audible or get it from your library. I mean, you don't have to spend money to get it. You can listen for free if you have an Audible membership or libraries and just send them to that or tell, tell them to listen to the podcast, you know, that's free. And then people can listen and then start to hear that it's not wacky. Yep,
1: absolutely. And I tell I have bought many, many copies of your book and have sent them well, to people. You. And, um, and listening to the podcast is a great way to um, get through because somebody's story you're just really going to connect with on a personal level and will we'll help you get to the next step. I listen at the gym. I'll turn it on. It's an hour and I get my workout in and I get my, my uh, fasting support. And, you know, the other thing I would say as well is just the, the tremendous um, lifestyle and the freedom of not having to deal with food all day long. You just, you really realize how when you're dieting and you live a diet lifestyle for your entire life, that your day is just consumed with. It's like an obsession. Thinking about food. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And what are you going to do?
0: Well, Abby, Thank you so very much. And I've really enjoyed talking to you today. Thanks,
1: jen. So good to meet you finally. I so appreciate everything you've done for me and, and for all of this community.
0: Do you have an intermittent fasting story to tell? Email me at jen at dot com, and I'll add you to the lineup. That's G-I-N at intermittentfastingstories.com. The world wants to hear your story. That's it for today. Remember,